Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's got cold here in TW11. It's brisk, it's chilly, it's genuinely wintry. There are snow flurries across London, expecting some of them a little later. Racing in the UK this week will be building towards Kempton Warwick Weatherby on Saturday, if the elements allow. The elements allowed some of what we were expecting yesterday across Britain and Ireland. Nace, I'm afraid, was abandoned after just one race because of freezing fog. Lydia Hislop was there and she'll be talking to us about it a little later in the programme. Wolverhampton staged the first Sunday night meeting under lights in Britain. Matt Chapman from Sky Sports Racing was there, interviewed all the right people, and talks to us about the vibe at Wolverhampton, such as it was, and the controversy that still surrounds racing on a Sunday night. Uh, there were much happier scenes at Plumpton Racecourse, where the first Premier race day was held at the Sussex venue. They reported that the crowd was up, though we've got some interesting data on that a little later in the programme. But the star, happily, was not any racing administrator or wannabe racing administrator, but a jockey. And that jockey's name, Joe Anderson. No ordinary Joe either. His feat in performing the most miraculous recovery after a calamitous blunder from his mount transmission in the Bet Goodwin Sussex Stairs Handicap Hurdle has reached far beyond the confines of our little world and has made him a bit of a five-minute superstar. Uh, I caught up with him today in his day job, uh, riding out for Emma Lavelle, and asked him how he felt after all the attention. Uh, my phone hasn't stopped buzzing for the last 24 hours, Nick, to be honest with you. It's quite overwhelming, to be honest. I didn't actually think that many people cared. <laughs> And it's massively captured the imagination. We see good recoveries from time to time, but nothing quite like that. You were fully round the horse's neck before managing to somehow haul yourself back into the saddle. I mean, can you can you actually describe what it was like from your point of view, or does instinct just take over? I'd say very much so, instinct. To be honest, Nick, like it, um, it happened so quick. Like I was just, I was very lucky in a way that I had a very willing partner that kept his head up. Because if he'd have dropped his head, I was a goner. Um, like he done very well to stand up in the first place, but to keep galloping with his head up and to take my weight a bit round his neck, like fair play to him. Like, credit goes, like, everyone keeps mentioning me and that, but like he was just as much of a cog in the wheel as I am, you know. And, and normally, normally speaking, if a, if a jockey then loses his irons and has to carry on, it's a case of well, I probably better pull this up before before it all gets quite quite hairy. So, what made you carry on? 
Um, so like I was initially I was trying to get them back, um, but they I, I only I was doing a lightweight on when I, went, I had my little saddle on and the light irons were just pinging around a bit, and they were up and over the saddle and it, the, the problem there lay like, with trying to get them back is every time I went to fiddle with them I was just lighting them up a bit and I was getting a bit keen, um, so it was a case of just sitting and suffering until he sort of came back underneath me a little bit and then I was able to to get him. But like Brian Carver gave me a shout, so he was like, "Are you wheeling out?" I said, you'd be doing well to get me out of here in a 75 grand race. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were pretty well aware of the magnitude of the race as well. If it had, if it had been something a bit smaller, you might not have, might not have taken the same decisions. Oh, it's, it's hard to say, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, you're getting paid to do a job for the owner and trainer. And like, if you're able to carry on, there's no reason why you shouldn't. So I was willing to go the whole way without him anyway, so... I mean, it, it, it was a it was a, a tremendous performance. When did you feel like you actually might have a chance of winning the race? It's going to sound ridiculous, but even before I'd got them back in, um, I'd ridden a horse twice before and I'd never known him travel as sweetly as he did yesterday. Um, first day, like we, we just we were learning a bit about him, and he, he he he's a funny one in the way of like when he's out on, out the back on his own, he doesn't really travel until you put him in amongst horses. So we were very much, we thought there'd be a bit of pace. We thought we'll bang him right in up behind the leaders. And he, he was almost doing a little bit too much for the first mile, but I knew he had a big engine and he was going to keep going. So as soon as I got him back and I could see the boys in front of me coming under a little bit of pressure, I was only just getting going down to the back of three outs. And me and Neil had had the discussion before and we said, look, if you're going in any, any way well and you're on the heels of them at the third last, it'd take a bit of whacking from there, you know. And how did you feel about the reception that you got and the reaction that you've had since? It's quite overwhelming, to be honest. Um, like, I came in and, I, like, obviously there was there was a lot of people around there. It was around a parade ring. It was very loud and everybody was very welcoming. And I said to, I said to Neil afterwards, look, I'll probably never win a gold cup, but I'd say this would be fairly close to the feeling. And, and good stories do do follow you a bit. I remember when you when you rode your first winner for for Nicky Henderson, and everyone massively thrilled for you. You'd been at Twistons before that as well, um, and you were a late starter, weren't you? Because I, I, I remember talking to you when you rode that first winner, and you were still claiming ten. And I think you'd, you'd not been riding horses all that long. No, no, I, I started well. The first horse I rode it was about four or five days before my 18th birthday. Um, I was just like, to be honest, I was just a mad fan of, of racing and uh, all that goes down to my uncle, my uncle Lee, he's, um, he's mad into it and he got me got me hooked on the sport and I turned my hand at it when I realised that A-levels weren't for me. I'd done a year and thought, you know what, I was sort of the right, sort of weight and athletic enough to, I thought, I'll have a go and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least I can say I tried and thankfully it seems to be getting somewhere now. Thank God. And, and a, a proper Liverpool racing family, just mad for the sport. Yeah, to be honest, any sport, not just racing, like yeah. football, darts, snooker, golf, cricket, and racing, like, a lot of them, like, they, that's what I was raised on, was like, we were just a very sporty family and we tend to turn our hands in it and I was the only one lucky enough to be in the right sort of frame and build to, to be able to give it a crack and I'm very happy I did in the end. <laughs> and of course, your claim to fame prior to this was was riding Altior at, at, at Nicky Henderson. So you know what it, you know what it feels like to ride it, ride, ride it, ride a good one. How much did that sort of bring you on in terms of career and profile? A lot, to be honest. I think it taught me it taught me a lot just about managing pressure and managing expectation. Um, like it was, it was very different to anything I'd done before. Um, 
but then like obviously opportunities in in a, in a yard like seven barrows are very few and far between and I made the jump over to Emma's and I feel like my riding has improved tenfold for being here. Um, I work very closely with, with Barry Fenton, who's like new action, but um, like they, in terms of my ride now to home, just getting a feel for horses and then translating that onto the course, like I feel like I've improved a lot just for, for being here and having that sort of one-to-one mentor, you know, and for, the, for that I'll be, be very grateful for them yeah well i hope the floodgates open for you and i hope uh, everybody at home has has appreciated this fully as well however accomplished they are in darts football and all other sports and pursuits i'm not sure i'm not sure any has achieved the notoriety that you'll achieve for yesterday's exploits so congrats oh, thank you very much nick much appreciated top man joe anderson all right listening to that was the racing post senior writer lee motter said lee we've had a a lot of racing politics in the last couple of weeks. That's a nice way to start the week with Joe Anderson's miracle recovery. And what a nice guy he is as well. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. And it's one of those things that um, does transcend the sport. You know, most people out there in the big wide world, thankfully, have no interest whatsoever in racing politics they would have no idea who is favorite for the Cheltenham Gold Cup or who won last year's derby but you present something like that to them and it will immediately make a connection um, because you don't need to have any knowledge of horse racing whatsoever to appreciate that what Joe Anderson did there at Plumpton is remarkable and it would have been remarkable even if he hadn't gone on to win the race but the fact he did win the race is even better as you say it's a great story to start the new year with and it's a story that anybody can understand appreciate and admire that was joe anderson who wrote transmission to success in the feature race at plumpton yesterday um lee the second most notable thing to happen at plumpton yesterday was the chairman peter savile giving an interview on sky sports racing to josh appiaffy in which he had a little ramble through some of what's been and some of what's to come um, Plumpton, incidentally, were very pleased with their crowd and their first Premier race day, so it was a, a great success. And uh, Savile was the architect of the blueprint for Premierisation, but he wasn't completely complimentary about the way that it's been that it's been executed. No, he certainly wasn't, um, Nick. As, as you've reported in the past, there have been rumours for some time that, that Peter is having conversations behind the scenes uh, with with racing participants. I think that's that's been. Um, doing the rounds for for a for for a while, and we, we know he's not happy. And he made that clear in this interview uh, with Josh Appiaffi on Sky Sports Racing, and we're talking to journalists yesterday. The nub of his argument seemed to be that he has empathy and sympathy uh, and shares the concerns of those who point to examples like Newcastle on Saturday and say, well, that's a grassroots meeting where prize money has been hit very hard year on year in part to pay for premier racing. Uh, and Peter Saville said that uh, in his in his quotes, the whole purpose was to improve the revenues of British racing. We can't just take money off the bottom end and move it to the top. The whole idea of premier racing is to generate more money. And the only way to do that is to have a different product and those two words different product were repeated again 
in his interview when he said, I'm disappointed that hasn't materialised. Are you creating a different product in a way it probably should have done? When football moved from divisions one, two, three and four to the Premier League, they created a different product, a different model, and it generated the exposure and money football has now to the benefit of everyone. So really interesting that this this, this reference of a different product, not really clear um, what that means, but he evidently shares the concerns expressed by others in the industry. As you say, Nick, this was the uh, second Premier meeting as part of this this two-year trial British Racing is having at the moment. What should have been the second one, the meeting at Sandown on Saturday, was abandoned. This was a chance for Plumpton to shine um you referenced the the crowd there i wasn't there myself yesterday but people reported it felt very busy plenty of people there um interestingly again we, we spoke about crowd numbers on the pod a little bit in recent days because of the the, the kempton situation peter talked about the, the normal attendance for that meeting being around 1840 percent up at two and a half thousand yet when you look on the the levy board returns for that day in 2023 the fixture had a return of 3218 and the previous year 2916 so i'm afraid attendances continue to perplex me nick in terms of what is and what isn't uh, a good or accurate attendance um in a wider sense um my colleague who was there stuart riley reported that there wasn't again much visual evidence of this being a premier race day but it had a really good atmosphere it was plumpton's most valuable race day but again, Peter also, I think, in his interview, acknowledged that there probably are too many uh, Premier Days in the sense of how many days can be a Premier Day. And if you were being super critical, you could make the point that whilst this was a great day for Plumpton and it, it, it hit all the metrics that a Premier Meeting has to have, would anybody say that this was one of British Racing's flagship great Premier Race Days? I'm not sure it would. Um, so the whole concept Joe, of watching Joe, Joe, Ander- Day, Joe Anderson would. Joe Anderson would. He would. And again, that 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 sort of thing does connect in a way that no amount of advertising, <laughs> uh, banners, logos, yeah. and marketing campaigns can. Exactly. It's about the racing, stupid. <laughs> Quite right, yeah. Except when it's not necessarily all about the racing, but what it might do in terms of bolstering the sports coffers. So, to Wolverhampton last night in the controversial Sunday night meeting. This is the first in a trial period of six to see what they can do in terms of bolstering finances and whether there's sufficient betting interest to be getting stuck in to this on a on a Sunday evening. Matt Chapman was reporting for Sky Sports Racing at the track, a familiar face on ITV Racing, of course, as well. Uh, Matt, you interviewed the Chief Operating Officer of the BHA, Richard Wayman, who was there. You also interviewed Mark Spencer, a very senior figure within the Arena Racing Company, and Callum Shepherd, a jockey who wasn't terribly happy with the idea of racing on a Sunday evening, and others. What was the general mood there? Were there any people there? Were there any meaningful spectators there? There wasn't a huge crowd, but again, that was irrelevant to what this is about. The whole point of this is to see whether there is an audience at home that would quite like to have a bet on a Sunday evening. And unless you trial that, then you have no idea whether that audience is is actually there. Um, so I completely understand why why it's being done. On social media, there was 
there was an obvious lack of understanding from the general public about how the funding of the sport or anything really happens in the sport. You know, people say, this is just put on for the benefit of bookmakers. Well, well, yes, but as you've discussed expertly with your guests on this show time and time again, it's, it's, the, it's the profits of bookmakers that keep the sport going. So there is that horrific juxtaposition for everyone that at the end of the day, punters losing is what keeps the sport going. It was very clear, Nick, from the participants, particularly the jockeys, Callum Shepherd spoke, I thought, expertly uh, in the heat of the moment. It's not easy for jockeys to gather their thoughts on a subject like this straight after winning a race. I thought, thought he said what he wanted to say brilliantly, and clearly he was not in favour of racing on a Sunday night. But, and this is the big thing, Nick, if after six Sunday nights, there is a clear graphic which shows that there is more turnover on a Sunday night than perhaps there is, say, on the Saturday night fixture at Wolverhampton, then effectively the sport has to try and take advantage of that. Now, how they do that, of course, is another question <laughs> because at the end of the day, everyone has to have a break at some point. Elsewhere, did you, sen did you sense a feeling that trainers and owners and jockeys would just get on with it? Um, or, or did you feel a, a, a real stubborn resistance to this? I mean, the, the, the people that were there were just getting on with it, and, and, and they will do. The prize money was good. Again, though, as you've discussed so many times on, on the podcast, you know, the question is, where does that prize money come from? Will there be meetings that now have lesser money? Well, there's no point in just giving people more coming on a Sunday night if they get less elsewhere. It kind of has to... To, to sort of rock it, doesn't it? it? It has to be a huge difference between just the meetings that go on in the evenings already. But again, you're not going to judge that after one meeting. You can only judge that after after six, perhaps even more than six, as it beds in and people get used to it and they think to themselves, okay, well, you know, at the moment I do this on a Sunday night, but but next next time, actually, I'd quite like to watch a bit of racing on a Sunday night. So you just, you can't tell initially. But yes, in answer to your question, um, I, I think the people did just get on with it. Staffing is a fascinating one, Nick. There were two sort of points I just make on the back of last night. Um, so the general feeling is that there aren't enough staff out there and no staff really want to go and work on a Sunday evening, even if they're paid extra. Um, but if you were to call Dave Simcock, he would tell you that he has staff that were biting his arm off, in his words to me, to come and work on the Sunday night. And he said he hasn't got any issues at all with finding staff to take horses on a Sunday night. And he said he's got plenty of staff who are single. Um, he talked about his workforce from abroad, who are the kind of people who are sending money back home. They are here to work. It was clear from him that he had lots of staff who wanted to work. And, and on that, Nick, and, and although Dave didn't seem to think that this idea would be for him, but it suddenly made me think, you know, is the sport doing enough experimentation with stable staff? You know, could it be that the training centres, Newmarket, Lambourne, Midland, etc., you know, have a roster, a pool of people who are happy to work on a Sunday evening? And is it impossible? Because staff move around stables, but is it is it impossible that there couldn't be, you know, a, a, a roster of, of, of stable staff as long as it fitted in with their work as and I appreciate some horses would want just the person that always looks after them because they're tricky and I appreciate paying them might be a little bit of an issue and you, it would be a bit more paperwork. But 
couldn't there be a pool of stable staff who really want to work, who are who are just sitting at home, a single or whatever it is, whatever reason it is. But if if there is a whole group of them that actually want to work, couldn't racing be doing more to like we don't have the stats doing it. All all we hear is from people saying we're short of stable staff and they don't want to work Sunday night. But if there was actually a sort of survey done and it turns out there are you know, 300 stable staff in Newmarket who would love to work. Two of them work for Sir Michael Stout, who will never have a runner on a Sunday night. And they would love to help, you know, John Ryan take a horse up to Wolverhampton. If you look on social media today about this experiment, it's all, you know, the stable staff don't want to be there. The stable staff don't want to be there. And there are a group of stable staff who do want to work. And I think that's worth worth emphasizing right the real reason you came on this podcast was to talk about was to talk about sport for causes which is uh, in itself trying to uh, broaden racing's appeal and in so doing raise quite a lot of money for charity you are quite heavily involved in this tell me a bit more about it yeah i'm happy to uh, really happy to be involved, mate. Look, look, you and I, um, we'd be very different in some ways. <laughs> Thank goodness people are shouting. But quite similar in others, and, and one way we would be quite similar is we would get asked to do things on a relatively regular basis at, at varying sorts of levels. Um, and sometimes you, you look at something and you think, crikey, I, don't, I couldn't be involved with that at all. Sometimes you look at something and you think, mm, a bit iffy, but the money's good, let's be fair. Uh, and sometimes you think, you know what, I just want to do this because it's just a good idea. If it worked, it's good for everyone. And, and to be honest, that is a case with Sports for Causes. Um, it's basically trying to give anyone the experience of being an owner for the day. Um, so if you go on the Sports for Causes website and they have an Instagram feed, a Twitter feed as well, so they're all out there on social media. Um, as a general race goer, you have the opportunity to buy owner's tickets at certain race courses that have signed up already, and they include Ascot, Doncaster, Goodwood, uh, of the smaller, slightly smaller tracks, Hexham, Lingfield, but Newbury's in the mix as well, Plumpton that had a sensational day uh, yesterday, Newcastle, Subtle, and the aforementioned Wolverhampton. So those eight tracks have signed up to this project already. And and literally, the, the price of the tickets is probably going to be somewhere between 70 quid and 120 quid, depending on which track and which meeting you want to go to. But the idea is you become an owner for the day, effectively. Now, not of a horse, but you have the experience. So you've got all your free food, you've got the owner's lounge, you can go into the paddock, you can speak to trainers and jockeys and owners if you see someone you want to see, like anyone else who's in the paddock. So you basically have that experience. There'll also be someone on hand to, to show you around as, as well. And, and the hope of all this is that if people experience being an owner, then not only does that help boost crowds and it's not going to help boost crowds by thousands obviously because you can't you can't get thousands into each paddock but it just encourages people to come maybe bring their family to a slightly different occasion and hopefully in the future they might even you know become a member of a syndicate or have a horse themselves after they've had that experience and view of all this um 50 of all sports for causes revenue goes straight to uh, racing welfare so 50% straight to racing welfare so no one's going to moan about that at all and and 25% goes back to the race courses that have become involved and the other 25% is is just operational costs and no Nick that's not me um so um all in all it it's it's just a good thing it's basically trying to get people to go racing who might 
have the experience of an owner and then become an owner themselves. So uh, I'm really thankful just to give it a plug. I appreciate a lot of your audience will be the kind of people who probably go racing for free all around the world anyway. But if it just picks up one or two extra people who think, yeah, I'd love to be an owner today, or maybe give someone a birthday present or would like to go to Goodwood as an owner for a day on a, on a sunny summer's day, then, you know, that it's, it's served its purpose. So I appreciate being given the chance on, of course, the award-winning podcast. Uh, Matt Chapman there, who was at Wolverhampton last night. Uh, Lee Moss, their senior writer in the Racing Post, is still with me. I thought the most interesting point that Matt made amongst many was that he'd spoken to one senior trainer, David Simcock, who'd said he had staff clambering over themselves to get to the races on on a Sunday evening, particularly those who were uh, perhaps um, originally uh, living outside the UK, who were coming here and were supporting families that that were still living still living abroad. Yeah, and that that is interesting. Um, Nick, and I thought um, the interviews that Matt carried out uh, for Sky Sports Racing uh, last night were interesting as well from some real uh, senior industry figures, including Richard Wayman of the BHA uh, and uh, Paul Johnson of of the National Trainers um, Federation. Um, I I think they both very eloquently um, laid out, in effect, the pros and cons of what is happening at Wolverhampton. And I think it would be wrong to present this as something that is is a is a is a is a simple situation. Um because you 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 would listen to some uh participants and believe that everybody who is connected in any way to horses was against this Wolverhampton initiative. And I completely uh, understand where they are coming from when they say we, we don't want to be doing this. Uh, we feel compelled to be doing this against our wishes. It is not something we should be doing on a Sunday evening. And I get that. Um, and truth be told, Nick, would I have any interest in going to um, race a race meeting on a Sunday evening? Well, unless it was an excellent race meeting. No, I, I, I probably wouldn't. Um, but this is a trial. There are people, as you have highlighted from within David Simcock's yard, who would be supportive of this. And it's going to be a difficult one, ultimately, for the sport to make a judgment call on, because I suppose the, the, the two key metrics on this are going to be what does it do to betting turnover? And you would imagine it will have to have a positive effect on betting turnover because you are giving people an opportunity to bet at a time on British racing they haven't previously had before. So you'd imagine it will have a a positive impact in that sense. And you have to balance that against what is the balanced view of participants. And there will be those who, for very fair, very understandable reasons, are vocally against it. But there'll be others who say this gives us an opportunity uh, to to earn more more money. Um, So it won't be an easy one, ultimately, for the sport to 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 make a call on i think where i do um what what i do agree with for sure is those who say well that the prize money here was was great for a for a normal all weather uh fixture it probably wouldn't remain like that if sunday evening yeah. racing became the norm yeah exactly the it's the old trojan horse principle again yeah. you know you 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 get in through the city walls by promising good prize money but then you need to be made to to keep your promise if absolutely nick yeah the product is sustained and the, and the industry is making money um uh, off the back of it 
Well, as you heard before the weekend, yesterday was supposed to be Nace's biggest day of the year, featuring the Grade 1 Lawless Hotel Novices Hurdle. We were looking forward to seeing Firefox and Co. We never did get to see Firefox and Co. because Nace abandoned their meeting after just a single race. Now, this was to the uh, disappointment of many, none more so than our own Lydia Hislop, if I can call Lydia our own Lydia Hislop. Um, I think you can. Thank you. Uh, because you, this was your day at Nace. This is your big day at Nace. And it, it was cruelly cut short after one race. What happened? Such a great meeting. And the Lawless of Nace Novice Hurdle, I think, was going to be the strongest and deepest, by far, Novice Hurdle of the season. So it's a great shame that this big day for Nace had, had to be abandoned. Um, what happened was, overnight, the temperatures were forecast to dip. There was some variance in terms of the various forecasts that you get. But the one thing they were unanimous about was that there was going to be fog, and fog was going to linger long into the morning. So they called a 7.30am inspection and found that the frost hadn't got into the ground. It was only a grass frost. Uh, but the fog, according to the forecast, was uh, correctly, had not started to lift. So they called another precautionary inspection at half past nine. And again, it got closer and closer and closer. And then it was given the all clear. And I got along to the track at about um, 20 past 11. And at this point, visibility was, wasn't great, but it was but it was OK. But during the course as we moved towards the first race, which was a, a mare's uh, novice chase, it, visibility started to get worse again. And I was working on racing TV with Gary O'Brien and Ruby Walsh, and you started to feel that that this might it might not be the right decision to go ahead. Anyway, the jockeys, the four jockeys, went to post, and there started to be a delay. And eventually, it was uh, communicated to us that the jockeys were had some safety concerns. Now. Um, the problem was that the, the race then did go ahead and night and day beat Brandy Love and nobody has any idea, uh, apart from the individual jockeys on their individual horses, what exactly happened and how that transpired. And clearly that is not any good. I mean, it's not any good from an integrity point of view. So I don't feel that it was the right decision made by the race course stewards to go ahead with the day and, and try and run the first race even. Um, and also then for the for the um, paying public as well. So you have people coming along for their big day, paying to get in, and they can't see any of the action. You have people watching on TV as well, um, have met, and you're, whom you're encouraging to have a bet on the race. And if you dislocate sport from spectators and its fans in that kind of way and take them for granted by running the sport and, and not being concerned about their perspective of things, I don't think that is the... The, a, a long-term good thing for the sport and uh, I think certainly um, the management at NACE were, came round came round to that review once it was obvious from race one the difficulties in, 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 in sight. Um, the stewards held an inquiry and they decided to abandon their race meeting due to the deteriorating um, visibility. They were really unlucky because just three quarters of a mile, a mile down the road the fog was clear, and so it was. It was a very patchy thing. So, this, I don't think this was one where they could have made an early decision, and that that would necessarily have been the right one, because it would have been ridiculous to make an, a call at seven thirty, nine thirty, and say, "Well, it hasn't lifted yet, uh, but the forecast tells us it's going to lift." So, and it's you know clear down the road, but we're going to abandon now. I can understand them pushing it to the wire. However, I do think that the race course steward should have taken over, and for reasons of integrity and sort of more wide, wider views and a, a track's individual point of view, or the, the, the local fans' individual point of view, 
um, should have taken action and uh, abandoned the race meeting. The good news is that the race meeting will be rescheduled on Friday with a, seven, a, a different race added to replace the, the mayor's novice chase. And also that uh, those people who attended um, NACE were getting their money back if they had proof of purchase or they would get a flexi ticket that they could use at another time, which means that even if they can't make Friday's uh, a meeting, at least they will be able to come back for free later on in the season. But it was a great, it was a great shame. I don't think the first race should have, run, should have been run, but I do understand why every chance was given to try and get the meeting on. All right, Lee. Um, interesting stuff there from Lydia. Obviously, um, is, is there something to be said that if if the if the people who are actually turning up to watch the racing and the people at home can't see it, then it doesn't matter whether the judge can see the furlong pole. It just shouldn't happen, or or is that too reductive? Um, well, I I think certainly Nikki, it has to be um, a massive part in any decision making process uh, in the sense that. Jesus, this is a line that, that I've churned out so many times on, on this pod and elsewhere. Racing ultimately is part of the entertainment business. The sport's job is to entertain people. If it isn't doing that, it isn't doing anything. Um, and if your audience on a race course, on the race course, can't really see anything, and then if the television audience can't see anything because there was no tracker camera uh, in operation, at NACE yesterday, then you do have to wonder what's the point? Um, because with, without anyone being able to see the action, ultimately all you are doing is staging something purely uh, for the participants taking part and I guess betting turnover. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think that that is a fair part of the, the consideration process and it probably should be um, maybe more part of the consideration process than it sometimes is. I think on, on this in this occasion, when you heard comments from Daryl Jacob, the winning rider of that one nace race yesterday, and him making clear that at times he wasn't really sure of um, his exact position on the track. I think that once you hear that, then there's no way that racing can continue. But um, it's it's a real shame for nace because. Um, the, the, the track there is again, a bit like Plumpton. It's an example of a, of a grassroots race course that really does work very hard indeed to put on the best possible product. It's got an inspirational chair in Dermot Cantillon who adores the, the race course. They've got lots to celebrate at the moment. Uh, and it was just a shame that they couldn't have their big day on the day they wanted it to, but hopefully there'll be a big local turnout uh, on Friday, and um, it gives us something else to look forward to with that cracking grade one. And that, as if by magic, is my reminder to tell you about a brand new strand to this podcast. Released each month will be a special American edition focusing on the leaders and aspiring leaders of the sport in a dramatic and febrile and challenging time as regards who is going to dominate the conversation surrounding horse racing in the United States. And the first subject, well, it's not boring. Mike Rapoli, the vitamin water billionaire, gave me chapter and verse on why he's dissatisfied with horse racing Yet still, he continues to invest millions and millions into it and why he started the National Thoroughbred Alliance. 
and this is a flavour of uh, what you can you can enjoy. Would you say murder is a crime? Uh, go on. Okay, well, that, that means yes, I think. Okay. Yeah. Would you say speeding is a crime? No. Okay. Well, some of these are just little overages, fifty-five going sixty. That the fucking journalists and the industry make it seem like, oh my god, because they're idiots. Let's just be honest. Someone speeding 60 miles an hour doesn't need to make the New York newspaper. That's what these charges are. A level that is below HISA gets a story like it doesn't make any sense. But there's no education in this game, Nick. There's a lot of naiveness. People don't know what a picogram is. Okay? I didn't know either. Like, like, who is educated? That's vision, leadership, alignment. So, Nick, if you got a ticket going five miles out of the sport and NBC Sports took you off or suspended you, you'd be like, what the fuck did I do? I went five miles over the speed limit. You get 14 days. Now, do I believe in fines? Do I believe in penalties? Absolutely. But there's murder and there's five... A drug overage is not fucking, you know, you know cheating. It's not doping. That was Mike Rapoli. It was a very entertaining hour, very thought-provoking as well, and you'll be able to pick this up on our regular podcast stream, wherever you consume your podcasts, wherever it might be, and it's entitled USA Episode 1. Nick Luck Daily, USA Episode 1 with Mike Rapoli. Lee Motta said, uh, I think uh, you've listened to that. Did you enjoy it? Well, Nick, I, I enjoyed that this morning over my um, granola, fruit compote, and vanilla yogurt. And I have to say... It woke me up even more than the the tart fruit compote. Um, really fascinating interview. Um, great back and forth. Um, he is someone who is clearly uh, enormously passionate um, about the sport. That came across. He is enormously strident in his views, uh, not just about the sport, but about individuals within the sport. Um, and at the end of it, I felt I knew more about Mike Rapoli than I did before. Um, and I was sure as hell that for whatever you think of him, he's not bland and he's not boring. Well, nobody likes January. We know that. Uh, and always you're trying to find things to, to do in January to just brighten your day, to improve your moods, to enrich your soul. With that in mind... I can tell you that you can go to the National Horse Racing Museum for a fiver, for a fiver, just £5 on Sundays through January. And I'm joined by Tracy Harding, who's the manager of Discover Newmarket. £5 for this amazing facility. I know I'm incredibly biased as a trustee of the museum, uh, Tracy, uh, but we are hoping that as many people as possible will brighten their January Sundays with a visit to Horse Racing's premier visitor attraction. Oh, I love that introduction, Nick. Thank you very much. Yes, so just £5 on all the Sundays throughout January. If you haven't been, obviously, it's the ideal opportunity to come and explore the site. And I think um, we've said it before, but people just don't realise that it's a five-acre site. That is, you know, it's a full day out. So we've obviously got the opportunity to go behind the scenes to see our resident uh, X-race horses. And uh, we're at our 100th intake so it's the um, lot this week saw the um, 100th horse under the care of the 
at ROR Yard. So that's a bit of a milestone for us. And of course, we've got our uh, exhibits um, and in the main trainer's house. And uh, obviously, our special exhibition still running until the end of February is a Lucy Kemp Welsh. And uh, for those who are perhaps not familiar with her, uh, she's obviously a very well-known female equine artist. But she did the illustrations for Black Beauty. And that exhibition is stunning. So lots to see and do. And say just five pounds, and with children free, you know what better way to to entertain yourselves um, on on a Sunday, uh, which can be quite depressing as we know. But you know, come and see us. That's pretty good sport on Saturday if if we get the weather. Uh, Warwick staged the classic chase, which is a, a their traditional long distance feature race and tends to feature lots of Grand National horses. You remember it was the race that was won by one for Arthur before he went on to win at Aintree. And there's a good race at Kempton, which should feature a match-up between Pick Dory in the Sylvian Arco Conti chase against Edward Stone stepping up to two and a half miles and um, not long till May for Laura Morgan, to whom we spoke last week. Really interesting runner at Warwick, potentially, is any second now, multiply placed in the Grand National for J.P. McManus and trainer Ted Walsh. Uh, Ted's with me now. Ted, I wondered if, if he might be the first runner you've ever had at Warwick. Have you, have you done much racing at Warwick? No, I've never had a runner at Warwick. Uh, I've never been to Warwick, but it's a race I've often watched it's the national type of horse. It's a lot of jumping and a lot of uh, you really have to stay there, which I think would suit them. Okay, so what's the thinking behind behind the entry? What do you? What, what, how are you looking to plot your way through the season? Well, I'm very limited to what I can do here. He's not good enough for the for the better races, and uh, I ran him at Navin there. Uh, in a, a, off a 150 but a lot of the races here are confined at 150 he's now a 148 if I don't go there I'll go to the Tiestas but the Tiestas is very very heavy ground and uh, it's competitive I'd like mm. to just see uh, Warwick is definitely on the agenda to go there I mean he's now 12 years of age he's a, he's a pensioner I haven't any aspirations of him being a national being a live contender for the national anymore but I think he's quite capable of winning a race somewhere yeah, and you do need a little bit of help from the handicapper if you're going to go. If you were to go back to Aintree, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit is being kind. I, I need a lot of help. He's he's uh, he hasn't. You know what I mean? He's a, he's been a very good, consistent horse, and he's always run a good race. Uh, but he's he's not he's not what he used to be, which you wouldn't expect. And uh, he crawled up the handicap through his good runs in the national. I don't honestly think he was ever quite as high as the English handicapper rate him. He was up in the 160s at one stage. I never thought he was a grade one horse or that kind of horse. Like He's a good handicapper and he can win a grade three chase. And uh, listen, he is, he's been a great servant and uh, I'd like to think that there's another race in him somewhere and I put him into Warwick because I think the condition the race would suit him. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one because he had to race off 167 in the Grand National last year and his official Irish chase marks 148. So... Uh, well, I was going to say you're in the lap of the gods, but you're in the lap of Martin Greenwood anyway. He does it to the best of his ability. And we don't always agree with Martin Greenwood, but we're on the other side of the fence. And no matter what weight Martin Greenwood gives us, we think he could give us a few pounds less. So that's the way it is. I, I didn't think in the national last year, uh, I have a good memory and uh, he isn't the calibre of the horses that I saw carry top weight in the national to run well. The likes of Les Gargo and Crisp and, and Red Rum. He never was of that calibre. Now, it's up to Martin Greenwood to assess him at what he has to do, but I honestly thought that he was... Listen, he had what he had, but I think it definitely he wasn't within seven pounds of, of those other horses. Well, Ted, it would be uh, great to see you at Warwick. Um, uh, look forward to it. Thanks so much. Will you be there? 
Will you be there? I'm at Kempton on Saturday. Yeah, so I won't see you. If I do go to Warwick, I'll be on my own. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll do a switch. Okay, well done. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, cheers, Ted. Okay, that was Ted Walsh. And it sounds as though any second now could indeed go to Warwick. It just depends on what the handicapper decides to allot him when we when we find out tomorrow. But that would add some rich intrigue to this weekend. And people are quite often quite rude about the racing this weekend, Lee. But I think if Kempton and Warwick both go ahead and Weatherby, there'll be plenty of talking points. This, as I said, you've got the three-way between Edward Stone, Pick Dory, and not long till May at Kempton, potentially, and the Lanzarote hurdle, and something that caught your eye up at Weatherby. Yeah, I was just sort of um, scanning Nick through the the entries as we talk at the moment, and we're, we're chatting before uh, entries actually close. But one of the horses um, entered in the, the big race at Weatherby on Saturday, uh, the Towton Novices Chase is uh, none other than the Woody Mullins trained Meeting of the Waters, who listeners will remember is the horse who absolutely dotted up in the Paddy Power Handicap Chase uh, over Christmas at Leopardstown. He's a recent acquisition by owner Paul Byrne, um, who, of course, has done extraordinarily well with his shrewd acquisitions place with Willie or with Emma Mullins. Um, he actually won the Towton a few years ago with Noble Yates. Now, in those days, true, the Towton was a three-mile grade two in early February. Now, it's a two-and-a-half mile grade two in mid-Jan. But, of course, Noble Yates went from uh, that race at Weatherby, where he was second to Hoy Senor, and he won quite a big contest called the Grand National. Um, so I wonder if Meeting of the Waters will be heading on to entry. He looks like a horse um, who would be an obvious one for the Grand National, Nick. But he's entered in the two and a half mile Towton at Weatherby. And just another Irish horse who's entered across the uh, weekend. Good time, Johnny, who won the Potemps final last season, is entered in the Potemps qualifier at Warwick. Um, let's hope the cold weather doesn't intervene. Looks like it should get warm before the end of the week, and I very much hope so. I've not been to that big day at Warwick for a few years, Nick, but I'm due to go on Saturday and very much looking forward to it. And as luck would have it, Lee, I've just had a message back from Paul Byrne, who is in Australia at the moment, saying, yes, the plan is to go to Weatherby at the weekend, and yes, the plan is to qualify the horse for the Grand National. Um, there you go. That's meeting of the waters. All right, then. Thank you to all my guests today. Thank you very much for listening. Lee is still with me, and Lee has a tip for you for today. Tricky old job today, Nick, um, but I am going to uh, Taunton in the last race, the 4.05, the Saturday meeting, 20th of Jan, Mayor's Handicap Hurdle, and towards the bottom of the weights, I am going to tip the Tom Simmons trained Damask. Um, she has been getting outpaced uh, at crucial stages of some of her races, but there's definitely been signs that she has ability and off a relatively low mark and with cheek pieces on for the first time for a trainer who is doing well with his string, uh, I would go with Damask in the 4.05 at Taunton. I will be at Taunton on the 20th of January as well. While you are watching um, those two wonderful horses, El Fabiello and John Bond, duke it out in the Clarence House Chase Basket, <laughs> I will be at Taunton for their feature day of the year, uh, which I always think is a good... Um, Good grounding before uh, I go to Florida. Yeah, but haven't they lost the Portman Cup, Nick? That's not gone from that that oh, card there. Well, the three and a half mile chase. I think the Portman Cup oh, might that, have... What a shame. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might have disappeared. 
That was Bryony Frost's preserve for a number of years, that race. Yalarenki won it. Yalarenki. Yeah, didn't he win it? Three times? Two, two or three Yeah. I, I'm just, it, it, I'm just, this is, this is fascinating for, for listeners while I just scroll through. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Taunton card for that day. And the most valuable race now is the £25,000, two miles, three furlongs, seniors handicap hurdle. hurdle. That is a real shame, actually, because that race gave the day a bit of identity. So I'm sure that this is all grist to the Premier Racing mill uh, and and trying to do its best for competitive racing. But as someone who has attended that Taunton fixture for the last three years, I, for one, am very sad to see the demise of the Portman Cup. It it might merit a phone call for the pod one day this week, Nick. Well, do you think? Do you think you you know? Do you remember when they were going to bin the Queen Alexandra? Yeah, the campaign, the Queen Alex campaign, which I think you can still look up online. <laughs> it's been long saved. Was it John Livingston Learmont? I think it was. Yeah, they who, wanted it to go into a mile and a quarter handicap, didn't they? At the time, drove the campaign to, to save the Queen, the Queen Alexandra at Royal Ascot. Save the Portman Cup dot com. Yeah, it's, it's gone. It will happen to revive the PortmanCup.com campaign. Defibrillate the Portman <laughs> Cup instantly. That's it for another edition of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Lee, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.